0: Okay, Matthew 24, I've been watching too much Braxton Miller, makes me want to clap, for those of you who watched the Buckeyes last night, (coughs) anyways, you know the way before he gets the snap, he claps, if I got to explain it, you're not going to get it. Um, If you want to grab a green Bible and turn to Matthew 24, we have four weeks counting this week left in a series that began in the 1970s called Matthew, it actually began before the church was started. Um, we got four weeks left and today we're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus, uh, the moment in time somewhere out there in the future when the sky is split open and Jesus returns to bring a radical shift um, to our lives, to everybody's lives. And that will happen and we're going to learn about that. I want to review really quick um, um, what we learned last week. But the overall message in this, remember, is that is that we just have to be ready for anything and and, uh, and and there's a lot in life that reminds us that you gotta be ready for anything. I was reminded that this past Tuesday, um, when when I was in our workroom over in the offices, and and Jen Kerr, our administrator, um, had just come from the preschool. You walk outside from the preschool and go into our offices, and she walked back into the room where I was. Uh, and she sat down, and she was working on this project, and Diana Garrett was there, and Marcus was was close by. And I walked in, and all of a sudden, <clears throat> out of the corner of my eye, I saw this flicker like go up from Jen. And, and I thought maybe it was some paper that blew, or maybe it was like, you know, a watch that does that little flicker on the wall. And then I noticed that there is a bird up on the ceiling of the workroom, flooding around like crazy, and I panicked and, and ran into my office and, cl- and slammed the door to let Marcus and Jen and Diana deal with it. But all, you know, Jen just, I am I'm, I'm freaking out like a little girl. And this thing's fluttering around, and all Jen says is, oh, that's where that went. <laughs> I'll let you talk to her about that. And I yelled through my door, did you stop on it? Because I don't know how to get a bird out of the office, and it was on the ground. But actually what had happened was, she walked. once she, she walked outside, a bird attacked her in the back and then disappeared. And here it had apparently gotten in her hair and her sweater. So that she came in, was sitting and doing her thing, and all of a sudden, out of Jen flies a, a small <laughs> bird. So... Moral of the story is you've got to be ready for anything, including birds flying out of human beings. <laughs> and now to Jesus. Um, remember last week we talked about the end of the world and and the, disciples, one of the just a few quick facts. Uh, number one, the disciples were confused. They thought that, that uh, the, the second coming of Jesus would line up with the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus predicted that Jerusalem would be destroyed. Uh, they asked him, when's it going to be destroyed and when are you coming again? And they mixed it together. And Jesus doesn't necessarily correct their thinking. Um, His main teaching to them is um, you just need to be ready because there aren't going to be any set signs. So when you think, when you see an earthquake or when you see a war, it's not time yet. When there are famines, um, it's not time yet. When people come from all directions and say, I'm Jesus, I'm Jesus, I'm the Christ, I'm the Christ, all kinds of deception and, and, and evil schemes and things, it's not time yet. When it occurs, the second coming, when, when Jesus returns, we'll know. It says no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you'll know. So don't spend a lot of time trying to figure it out. You'll know when the time's right. And then we talked a little bit about Armageddon. Remember the biggest anticlimactic moment in all of human history when when, when Armageddon, uh, you know, the kings of the earth are in line with Satan to fight against the people of God and it's going to be this great battle and then Jesus just kind of intervenes and wipes them out and that's it. So there's a good chance that Armageddon, as much press as it gets, never really happens because Jesus just intervenes. But all in all, uh, when, when you talk about prophetic literature, it's a lot of speculation, with one consistent message. We're not going to know, so be ready. All right, I want to turn to First Thessalonians four. That's where we're going to start, because the Apostle Paul, in right around this is right around fifty A.D., so it's about you know fifteen to twenty years after the time of Jesus, he gives us as clear of a view as we're going to get is to what it's going to be like when Jesus does return to usher in whatever the next age or era in God's plan is. And that's on page 825 of the Green Bibles. And in verse 13, chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. That's what Paul calls death. He says that they go to sleep. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, data point from scholarship. Scholars believe that the problem here was, first of all, they all, including Paul, really seemed to think that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. 2,000 years ago, they believed it would happen in their lifetime. So it tells you that they really didn't know a whole lot about the topic. And they're concerned that these people who have died while believing in Jesus are going to miss the second coming. That's the concern. And Paul says, no, 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 when it happens, nobody's missing out. (coughs) For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep or died while believing in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, there's no benefit to being alive when Jesus returns. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the what? with the trumpet, remember that trumpet, what marks the the second coming? A trumpet. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together uh, with them in, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, he knows where our minds go. Look at this. About times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, remember when Jesus is describing Armageddon, and he says, it will come like a thief. And now Paul, he's talking about the second coming, and he knows, we want to know when, we want to know what to look for. He says, it will come like a thief. And remember we talked about last week, thieves don't generally give a lot of signs that defeats the purpose. And so the main point in all this is we're not going to know. So we get this imagery of someday, we don't know when, like a thief, which means it's unexpected. There's this trumpet blast of some kind. And from up out of the ground come those who have fallen asleep or died in a relationship with Jesus. And they raise up, and they go up in the sky to meet Jesus in the air. Now, I don't know how that's going to work on, a, you know, on an earth that's round. I figure God will figure that out. Um, and then those who are alive, who are following Jesus, do the same. And that's the moment that marks the end of this world as we now know it, and the ushering in of something fresh and new of the next thing. So that's as clear of a picture as we're going to get of the second coming of Jesus. So let's go back to Matthew 24. And and Jesus is going to talk a little bit about the second coming because his his disciples asked him, tell us about the sign of your coming. What's going to happen? When are you going to return? And we're going to start in verse 36. So on page 694, Matthew 24, verse 36. But about that day or hour, this is a crazy statement. The implications are nuts. No one knows, not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And let me camp out there for a minute. Jesus the Son, who the Bible says created everything and holds all things together doesn't know this i don't know how that works out i don't know how you have one god in three parts and and, and 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 only one of the parts of the three knows that this is the most classified bit of information that exists the second coming when jesus says i don't know it now it's interesting to me the implications of this because when you look at what the disciples asked him tell us about the destruction of jerusalem and your second coming, and and he gives them this kind of mixed bag. It stands to reason that, that he's telling him what he, he doesn't know. He doesn't separate it out. Well, it's going to go down like this. First, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. He doesn't know. And 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 you look in scripture, and, and it stands to reason that so much of this stuff is so confusing because it's written by by by, by people who who understand that this is one of the top issues on our minds. And yet they don't know. So they write what they know. Do you know that the, the book of Revelation, which is a book of, of crazy symbolism about the end of the world and about who knows you know, whether it's all the end of the world or some of it of the Christian persecution in the first, second, third century, but it has the worst grammar in all the Bible. It's just grammatical slop. And, and for years, church fathers and things have tried to figure out why. But it stands to reason that if a guy gets a vision... And he's taking notes while he's getting this vision of this crazy stuff that he doesn't know. It's going to be sloppy. It's not going to make a whole lot of grammar. It's not going to be perfect. And it's because we don't know. And Jesus doesn't know, and the angels don't know, and the disciples don't know. Take, for instance, the Antichrist. So um, a lot is written about the Antichrist in, in you know, even, even recently movies and, and TV shows and, and things like that. Um, look with me. Uh, good luck finding this one. 2 Thessalonians. I'll let you cheat if you have one of these Bibles. It's uh, page 827. 2 <laughs> Thessalonians. Paul is writing, this is like 50, 51, 52 A.D., somewhere in there about, t- about 30 years after, 20 years after um, the, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and he says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us whether by a prophecy or word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. So they're concerned that somehow Jesus came back and they missed it. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed and the man doomed to destruction. Now he goes on to describe the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, as being in league with Satan, producing false miracles, all this kind of stuff. He's describing, he says, this has to happen first. Well, fifty years later, first John is written by the Apostle John. That is on page eight fifty five of the Green Bible. <coughs> so there's for fifty years this widespread teaching um, about the Antichrist needing to come. And now one of the things you need to know about John, John was the longest lived apostle, the only one that historians believe lived a full uh, life with a natural death um in in much of what he wrote in john he wrote five books of the Bible and much of it in in John and first second and third John is corrective in nature like he 's trying to correct some of the things that have gone wrong in christian thinking and and, and practice and and so he writes this in um in 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 chapter two, uh, verse eighteen, dear children, this is the last hour. So this is about fifty years after Paul wrote First Thess- or Second Thessalonians. This is the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. And then on down in twenty-two, whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, such a person is the Antichrist. So it sure seems like what John is saying is no, there's no more need to wait for Antichrist. The spirit of denial of Jesus is alive and well, and there are many who are a part of that. That's how we know it's the last day or the last hour. So I don't want to say it's contradictory, because I I think that God will be able to explain that. But what you really have in Scripture is this bit of information that is locked away that only God knows, and everybody's trying to, like, answer these questions with the best information they have, but it's sketchy, and I think it, it, it fits. I mean, it would, ni- it would be nice to say that everything works out nicely and is clear, but, but that's, it, Jesus says that, that he doesn't even know. So, so much of this stuff is speculation. And, and again, I want to go back to that point of when you're watching late-night TV and somebody says that they got it figured out, guess what? They don't. Back to Matthew 24. (coughs) As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Life is going on as normal. Doesn't sound like, well, they knew that there, the temple was rebuilt or that Israel had reacquired something or that there was one world government or one. These are the kinds of theories that you hear that have to happen before the second coming. But what Jesus says here is that it's like the days of Noah. People were marrying, Wedding, weddings were happening, people were eating and drinking and living life like normal. And all of a sudden, bam, the flood hit and nobody expected it. Okay. Now this this next part is, is is I think it's interesting. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. And then he goes down to the thief language again. Now let me let me talk this through a little bit. <coughs> First message from Jesus is that um any day. Life will be going on as normal. But then there's this other thing. So I'm gonna i to go back to uh to I wanna talk about um it's a sub it's it's like this sub-theme of theology in this in 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 um end time stuff and it's the idea of rapture. Um so so in rapture theology, which is a major theme. In, in Christian thinking these days, uh, it says that there will be this thing called a rapture, which means, like, good thing, right? Um, it's also a song by Blondie. But the Baptists and other theologians aren't interested in that as much as they are how it applies to um, the Bible. So anyway, there's this this idea, and, and I, I just picked the denomination. It's not that Baptists are... Anyway. Um. <laughs> um there is a line of thinking that says that Jesus will return, take the church out of the world, and then those who are, uh, are outside of Christ just continue to live here, trying to figure things out. Okay, now they may be spot on. That may be ex- exactly what happens. But I want you to know when you hear this stuff that it's not necessarily outlined in the Bible that way. Okay, first of all, the word rapture isn't even in the Bible. Um, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It's just not a biblical concept. But but a lot of that thinking comes from this. It says, you know, two men are in a field. One's taken, the other's left behind. Right? People at the little mill, one's taken and the other's left behind. So what about these people that are left behind? And in fact, there was this series that came out about a decade ago called Left Behind, which was like, you know, 10 books that detailed a lot of this. So, So if you look at Jesus' reasoning here, it all goes back to Noah. Now, the Bible says that that Noah was literally like the last righteous man on earth. It says that God actually regretted making humankind. It had gotten so bad. And so God decides to save Noah and his family. He puts them on a boat and sends a great flood. So Noah is the righteous. Everybody else on the earth is the unrighteous. After the flood, who is left behind on the earth? (coughs) Noah, the righteous. It's not the unrighteous that are left behind. It's the righteous. Then Jesus goes on to his examples, just like, uh, you know, um, in the days of Noah, um, two men will be walking up a hill, one taken, the other left behind, If you're using Noah as your core story, the one who's left behind is the follower of Jesus. It's the righteous. And that seems to be, it even seems to fit with what Paul says, because what he says is those who are left will go and be with the Lord in the air. That's 1 Thessalonians. So I, I just, lots of speculation I mean, like that, that, that book series was so detailed. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with that book series, that Left Behind series. I really don't. But it's so detailed that like Jesus was reading it to find out what would happen because this guy had it so figured out. And, and I just want you to, I, I just want to caution you, that you know, just be careful with the stuff because the, 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 the pervasive message in Scripture is it's going to, we're not going to know so don't put any decisions off don't because it's like a thief now, nothing wrong with the Left Behind series. I think that God did a lot of good through it. I just want you guys to know that it's not necessarily spot on um It could happen a whole lot quicker with a whole lot less notice and be a whole lot more final than 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 the rapture uh um theology. Would su- would suggest, or they might. He might have it spot on, and, and, and it's and it's perfect. So, um, let me uh, let me close by talking through uh, if there, in and this is just this is just me rambling, okay? Which is really all I guess it ever is. But, but, um, as far as I'm concerned, there's only one solid clue in Scripture that could tell us the time, um, and it's wrapped up in the feasts of the Old Testament. So let's uh, walk through Leviticus 23 really quick. In the Old Testament, 1,500 years before the time of Jesus, in, in Leviticus 23, God commanded that his people build their lives around seven feasts. No matter what, no matter where, you will follow the seven feasts. You will observe the seven feasts, the first of which was Passover. And the day before Passover at 3 p.m., you're to slaughter a lamb. Not at 2.59, not I mean, it was obviously, they didn't keep time like that, but it was at the, th- on that watch, 3 p.m., you slaughter a lamb. 1,500 years up to the time of Jesus, year after year, after year, after year. The Passover lamb was slaughtered at 3 p.m., they built their calendar around it. The next day after Passover began the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which was a couple days where you celebrated it by not putting yeast in your bread, which sounds ridiculous, but basically what you were doing every, you know, every unleavened bread feast, you were allowing no decay to be in the bread. There is no decaying action in this bread. That was the feast. Weird. But they did it. Fifteen hundred years of the time of Jesus, the calendar was built around it. The day after the feast of unleavened bread was the feast of first fruits, where for fifteen hundred years, year after year after year after year, you celebrated what God brought up out of the ground. You collected your first fruits, the best of the life that God brought, and you celebrated that after the Passover, after the unleavened bread, came the first fruits. Then there was a 50-day break, and you celebrated Pentecost. And to do that, you remembered that there was a moment when the earth shook and there was fire and wind and smoke and the presence of God brought the law to God's people. And then after Pentecost, there was a break because it was harvest time. And year after year after year after the Pentecost, you knew it was harvest time where you gathered in All that God had set aside, you gathered it all in because it was harvest time. Now, the harvest was ended on the Feast of Trumpets every year with a trumpet blast that went through the whole land. And that meant harvest time is over. It's time to ready your heart for God. And for 10 days, people got themselves prepared for the Day of Atonement when God made everything right. And that was the sixth feast, the Day of Atonement. Followed by the Feast of Booths, where you basically woodstock. You, 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 you set up tents in Jerusalem, and you partied like crazy because the harvest was over, and you were together with each other and with God, and year after year after year, you had those seven feasts until the time of Jesus. Let's just say it was 30 to 33 A.D., the year Jesus died. Four of those feasts were fulfilled. Because at 3 p.m., when everybody else was slaughtering their Passover lamb, the Bible says that's the exact hour that Jesus was put on the cross. So that was fulfilled there. And the Passover lamb that provided the atonement was given to us. Followed by Jesus being in the tomb for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where his body did not decay. So, for 1,500 years, they prepared their minds thinking about things not decaying while Jesus was in the tomb, not decaying. And he was raised to life at the Feast of First Fruits, where for 1,500 years they celebrated what God brought up out of the ground. Fifty days later, at Pentecost, where they celebrated the giving of, of, of the law when there was wind and fire and, and, and earthquakes. After Jesus raised, 50 days later on that same day, there was wind and fire and earthquakes as the Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost on all believers. And then there's the harvest. And Jesus continually uses harvest language for what we are right now, gathering in people for God. Now, what was the next feast? The Feast of Trumpets. It ended the harvest season with a trumpet blast. And we know in Scripture that when Jesus returns, it's marked by a trumpet blast. So I would not be at all surprised, and I think it's actually almost could be assumed, that if Jesus fulfilled those, uh, those seven feasts were what you built the year around, and Jesus fulfilled them to the day, and you got trumpet blast and trumpet blast, I wouldn't be surprised if it's some future Feast of Trumpets date, which is in the fall, right around September, that that's when Jesus would return on the Feast of Trumpets. I think that it seems like God put those there for a reason. Other than that, it's a mixed bag because nobody knows. Nobody knows. Jesus' point is be ready. We ready our hearts for God by receiving the gift that his son provided on the cross all of our sins past present and future done away with on the cross through faith in jesus and then in matthew 25 jesus says the ultimate test is is your faith right and i know that by how you live are you caring for the poor are you visiting the sick are you caring for those in prison Are you giving clothes to the homeless? Are you providing shelter for the homeless? What are you doing for those in need? That's how we prepare ourselves for the thief that comes unexpectedly, for Jesus who returns unexpectedly. And when we're ready, this is the most encouraging stuff there is, to know that one day it's just going to end and it could happen today. Come, come on up. Um, and we're going to do one song, but while we get ready, I just want one final, just as practical as I can get. So, <coughs> six years ago, um, my wife and I had a little girl named Lexi, and many of you know this. Um, and Lexi was born with Down syndrome, and uh, she only lived for eight days. But on that seventh day, and we had no idea that that she would she would leave us the next day. Um, on that seventh night, we had some friends over, and we were talking about you know the the shock of. Of of Down syndrome and what life would be like, but we said, you know what, we're we're ready for it, um, we're we're ready for this. We're going to make this work, and I said before they left, but you know what, if uh, if Jesus comes back tonight, uh, we'll we'll be all right with that. There's always that hope that that, um, and we didn't know, but the next day, um, Lexi suddenly died, and um, it was the worst day of our life. Was coming the next day, but every day since then. Uh, and, and so many people ask me, how, how do you, how do you get through something like that? How do you, and, and the best that I can answer that is, is you know that any day, um, the trumpet sounds and it's over and that day will get here sooner or later. And in that knowledge, that conviction, that faith can bring hope, uh, to the worst that life has to throw at us and I think that's why God gives us that hope in Scripture. He wants us to have that tucked away to get us through the pains of this world um, and and so um, I encourage you to build your life around that because it is the real hope that we have. all right let's uh, Camille's going to remind us of that.